And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed you were marked with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit. This is really good news that's really for everybody. Those are the words of the Apostle Paul as written to the Ephesian church in one of Paul's grand opening statements about, about who Jesus is and, and the, the ramifications of who the Christ is to all people. And in the church in Ephesus, it was a largely and probably majoritively Gentile congregation. Today's text is looking at the, the importance of welcoming everyone into the body of believers. And the people that were in the way of, at first at least, including all people, most specifically those outside of the Jewish faith or the Jewish population, the Jewish heritage, were actually the apostles themselves and Peter himself. And last week we looked at, at this, this strange dream that he had which was connected with a dream, a vision that a man named Cornelius had the day before. And I want to focus as we begin on, on this word included. The moment that we come into this world out of our, of our mother's womb and, and into what was probably a hospital room for most of, most of us, but what we share in common, no matter where or when we were born, is breath. That first breath of life. And in that, in that way, we are all the same. And yet, from the second breath on, there is inclusive and exclusive realities about all of us. Where you drew that first breath will largely dictate the course of the rest of your life. If you were born inside of this nation and many other nations who, who are blessed with, with economic prosperity and opportunity, your life has much more chances than children born in impoverished nations where they're in the midst of famine or such political strife that, that causes famine and scarcity. And so you, if you are included among those with opportunity and food, you are certainly blessed. And many are excluded from that from day one. As you, as you grow older, you begin to recognize that some people have opportunity to an education and others don't. And so there is uh, inclusion in terms of using your God-given mind and expanding and learning more so than those who don't have that opportunity. And as you get beyond that, that, that concrete sequential thinking of childhood and begin to go into abstract thinking, and you, even if you, were, if you were taught something about God or gods or religion, whatever it might be, in, again, the context in which you were born into, you begin to, to wonder about life and, and, and the vastness of, of, of the universe that you can see at nighttime in those stars and, 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 and big questions about who and what God is or the gods or, and then who am I and what's my place in all of this and, and if you were blessed to, to be directed according to the word of God, 
you have a much better chance of embracing the one that God has sent, Jesus the Christ, and, and how through his spirit we, we understand more, and we're, we're certainly blessed to have that. But not everyone has that. And all of those kind of inclusive and exclusive questions are part of life. If you're sitting here this morning, you were included in a lot in terms of those and many other opportunities I, I brief, briefly touched on here. Peter and the other apostles were born into the people of God, the, the sons and daughters, the, the, um, those who have inherited Abraham's covenant. And they were very proud of that heritage. And even though they were oppressed, even though they were put under slavery, nonetheless, they, they carried forward, hoping one day that they would receive a Messiah. And indeed, they did. And although most of their brothers and sister Jews did not embrace that or believe in that Messiah, the apostles were blessed with that. And, and, and thousands, along, even on that first day at Pentecost, we looked at several weeks ago, came into this faith, this new way of believing in God through Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah. But there was an assumption among the Jews, the apostles included, that what God really wanted was to save his own people. So we need to get the word out into the world, like Jesus told them on you know, the Great Commission, to go make sure that all the Jews in the world know that the Messiah has finally come. The Gentiles were an afterthought at best and most commonly thought not to be included in the Messiah's work. And as I mentioned, as we, we've gone through the book of Acts several times, God has to intervene somewhere when the church isn't getting it yet or is going off in the right direction or needs a boost of some kind. A boost like an apostle named Saul that was called specifically to reach the Gentiles because the 12 apostles at that point at least were not ready for that, were not embracing that, didn't see it, didn't want to see it. And so he, God intervenes again with this simultaneous vision between Cornelius, a Roman centurion, a hated Roman centurion, a very Gentile man who was living in still the traditional borders of Israel in, in Caesarea along the Mediterranean coast. But nonetheless, he was a God-fearing man. He gave uh, to the poor. He was respected in his community, including by the Jews that lived there. And so when God gave him a vision, how, how God was, was honoring his faith that was expressed in his heart, that was expressed in his gifts to the poor, send for Peter. He's just down the coast in Joppa. And that happened. And last week we looked at how Peter received those, that, that, those, those visitors after he had the dream, that strange dream of animals of all kinds, but especially unclean ones, and God said, go ahead and eat from this sheet of some sort that he saw in his dream. And Peter at first refused. And God had to repeat the dream three times until Peter got it. And even when he woke up, hearing the voice of, of the messengers from Cornelius, he wasn't quite ready, but he finally agreed. And he went. 
And that's where, <clears throat> that's where our story picks up this morning in the, in the 10th chapter of Acts, in the middle of the <clears throat> 23rd verse. And what I want us to see today, um, as we kind of walk through this story, the meaning of these visions then and now. And the first of those is to be reverent and be humble. And what we see in uh, the first few verses, uh, 23 through 26, is when when Peter arrives, um, he is actually bowed down to by Cornelius. And then the people that filled his house, they were so excited to have him there. And he invited all his best friends and all of his relatives to be there. And they, they probably put on their Sunday best. <laughs> their, their, their nicest clothes. And, and remember, too, this man was a man of some means. He was a leader in, uh, among the Italian regiment, a Roman centurion. And so presumably then he, he had a, a fairly nice home. And they, they cleaned everything. They wanted these guests to be, to be well-received, to feel very welcomed in, the, in their home. And they bowed down to him as an act of respect for God's messenger. Peter shows humility. Peter doesn't, you know, have, walk in the door and have them kiss his hand or something. <laughs> he says, no, no, I'm just a man like you. Please get up. And there's a good balance there. And that was a good way of starting what could have been a very uncomfortable, tension-filled conversation. A, an act of respect and an act of humility, both brought forth. And the second thing then is, second meaning, no one is impure, no one is unclean. And really, this is the heart of this whole story. Notice in the 27th verse, it says that these three words, Peter went inside. Doesn't sound like a big deal, right? Just the, the narrator talking about the story. You know, he, he walked inside. For Peter, that was huge. From the moment he was invited to their home, his first instinct was, as a good Jewish boy, I can't do that. This is a Gentile home. I'm not allowed to do that. And yet, the vision he got from God of these animals, clean and unclean, and God said, go ahead and eat. And Peter said, no. And God said, if I said it's clean, it's clean. Don't call something unclean that I said is, is clean. What did that mean to Peter? It was more than he can change his diet now. It was more than he can have bacon for breakfast tomorrow. Okay? <laughs> it was something much more important much deeper than that. I think God used dietary law because that was the one that, that most people would readily understand day to day. And as I mentioned last week, as we looked at this, this dream, of, of all of the, the laws of Moses, this was probably the easiest to carry through because the whole community didn't eat things that weren't good because no one wanted to get in trouble. So, so your regular diet never included those things. They probably weren't even available, especially in Jerusalem and around the towns where the population was almost entirely Jewish people. No one wanted to be caught eating something they shouldn't. So this one was fairly easy to carry out, and you could feel much more devout in terms of not eating unclean food. And yet God, again, was, was driving at, at something 
much deeper than that. So listen to the way Peter describes what God was meaning, what the message God was sending to him in the 28th verse, the last line. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. That was revolutionary for Peter. This, this was a, a, a whole new way of thinking, a whole new way of expressing his faith. He, he wasn't giving up on the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, but he had a different understanding of the law. And, and he probably remembered when Jesus talked about not coming to, to destroy or abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And now he's starting to realize what Jesus meant by fulfilling the law. And so he's recognizing that that sheet filled with clean and unclean animals is a representation from God that all people are clean, all people are, um, are pure in terms of what Christ has done for them if they only access that gift. When Christ did his work on the cross, it was for all people. Before he died, he said, it is finished. The last and final sacrifice necessary for all mankind, past, present, and future, was accomplished. It was done. It is finished. The only thing remaining, and it was a very important thing, was to go forward with the message that this good news actually did happen. This good news is not just for the people of Jesus. It's not just for the fellow apostles. It was for everyone everywhere. But those still clinging to the law weren't ready to go there, weren't ready to think about that, weren't ready to believe that until the pretty much the clear leader of the apostles, at least one of the three or so, was convinced in this dream that this message had to go out to everyone. The burden of becoming pure and clean is gone, of always having to worry about not just food law, but all these other laws and rules. Am I good enough, God? Am I good enough, God? Am I good enough, God? And if we're honest with ourselves, isn't that a question we often come back to in our lives? We may not follow the law of Moses the way they did, nor, nor should we attempt to, and yet we still have rules in life. We still have commandments to follow. We still have ways in the, in the Word of God that we can look at as, as a rule, but the, the commandments that still apply to us as believers are not the same way the commandments applied pre-Jesus. The commandment that Jesus gave is to Love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. How are you doing with that? And if you're falling short in some way, and I think most of us are if we're honest, keep working at it. Keep working at it. It's not like God's going to kick you out of his presence. It's not like God's going to you know, remove your, your final eternal destiny in heaven because you failed to love today. And that's the good news. Everyone is welcome into this community of faith, this community that um, when someone was found to be impure or unclean under the law of Moses, they were excommunicated. They were removed physically from the community in some situations. Why did all of the 
um, the lepers that Jesus encountered have to call out unclean, unclean, because they had to warn people they were around. They literally lived outside of the community. They had to stay away from everyone else because to even touch that person would make them unclean, and they had to get kicked out. So, so this, to, to frame this understanding with, it, it, with Peter's mind and heart is to recognize, wait a minute, unclean and pure means out of the community. So if God made all people pure, and all people clean, that means all of them are part of us if we just tell them that they are, if we just let them know the good news. And that's been the mission of the church ever since. It's to let all people know the good news that that you are indeed forgiven. Just receive it, believe it, know it, draw life from it. And that message has to continue to go out and go out to people. And this is what Peter had to see from this. In verses 30 to 33 then, Peter tells um, you know, what happened. Excuse me, Cornelius begins and when Peter asks him that simple question, why have you called me here? And Cornelius tells the story and he repeats it. And this is a, a similar um, way that, that Luke, the author of this book, uses several times in, in Acts. He, um, for example, he'll have Paul repeat his conversion story many times. And we'll see that going forward. Peter repeats the dream more than once, as we'll see just in the chapters very soon coming up in the book of Acts. Cornelius repeats his dream. So in other words, the author of Acts is is re-emphasizing something, and that alone tells us of its importance, of this event. As I've said before, and I'll keep repeating until we all get it, until I get it, and in, in the full depth of it, one of the main themes of the entire New Testament is convincing the Jewish believers that the Gentiles are included. And Acts chapter 10, and we get into the 15th chapter in what's called the First Church Council, those chapters are so key in getting that through the hearts and the minds of first the Jewish believers, then all believers. And we can easily look back at them and say, why weren't you including them? What's the matter with you? Why are you excluding people? And yet, in our own lives, don't we do the same thing? Don't we try to become exclusive? Well, we're the believers, and they're not. And if, if maybe we're not going to say this in so many words, but somewhere in the depths of our heart, we might even be saying, boy, I'm glad they're not e- either. Well, yeah, they're going to get there. So good, those lousy, rotten sinners, those people of that group, reinforcing the endless battle of us versus them. And yet Jesus is telling us that it is inclusive. Jesus is telling us that, that there is no us versus them. There's simply those that believe and those who don't, those who don't know it yet. And we should never treat the unbeliever, those that have failed to believe or even have rejected the message, as someone that will never, ever be a part of us. As long as people are drawing that breath they began with in the first day, They can come to him. And there's no one that is excluded from that opportunity. And then fourthly, the gospel is peace for everyone, not just for those who meet our standards. 
says in um, the, the, the good news of peace in Peter's message here about, okay, here, here's, what, here's what God is, wants me to tell you. And he goes through a, a brief history of God's people leading up to Jesus and what Jesus accomplished through his life, through his death, through his resurrection. And he calls it the good news of peace. And that is good news, isn't it? This is, this, it's not good news to say, get on board with us and you're going to fight a battle. That's not to say there isn't battles to fight. It's not to say, and certainly within our own hearts and minds, there's going to be battles to fight. But what we, what we receive from, from Christ, first and foremost, is what, as Paul uses to always sign off on his letters or begin them or both, grace and peace to you through Jesus Christ. Grace and peace. A gospel of peace. And that gospel is for everybody. And you know, it's always been that way. And again, Peter wasn't quite ready to hear it, was missing it. When Luke wrote his, the gospel of Luke, and he wrote the story of the birth of Jesus Christ, which we're going to celebrate very passionately very soon and put all our decorations, and maybe some of you did already. I saw somebody last night putting lights up already. They took down the Halloween lights and put up Christmas lights. Hey, fine, fine. You want to celebrate now? Great. But the, the essence of that celebration should be, of course, what really happened and how it happened and, and, and what was said. I want to turn to a couple of passages in one very familiar, one probably less so, from the story of the birth of Jesus as Luke writes it in the second chapter of Luke. And the first one is what the angels said to the shepherds. Now, we have to think about this in terms of what's happening here with Peter sitting in a Gentile home proclaiming that the message of Christ is for all people. 14th verse of Luke 2, the angels speaking, Glory to God in the highest heavens, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. This is a much more accurate translation than just to say, peace on earth. Because Jesus himself said, I have not come to give peace. <laughs> I've come with a sword to divide people in the sense of uh, understanding your, your true place in this world and not putting anything else in front of him. Then you will know true peace. But so when the angel says peace on earth to those on whom his favor rests, well, who's that? Who's a candidate for salvation? Who, who, who has God favored in the sense of, you know what? I love you, and I want you to, to live life according to, um, according to love. I, I, I want you to live life and understand your place in this world and, and, and what I've given to you and to your family and, and, and to your friends and your community and to your church. I want you to get that. I want you to receive that. I want you to live that. Who gets that favor? Anyone who seeks, anyone who asks, anyone who comes to him. So who is this favor resting upon? It is all people. And that's why when the sheep came down from heaven with all the animals, 
God said to Peter, hey, they're all clean. They're all ready. Now go out there and get them. Go out there and tell them. Including a guy named Cornelius and his family up there in Caesarea. <clears throat> and then also in the, further down in Luke 2, verse 29, a little less familiar, but it's an important part of the, the days surrounding Jesus' birth when when he goes to the temple and Simeon, who's been praying for his whole life, to, he was promised through a vision of his own that he would not die until he saw the Messiah. And what does he say as a, as a praise to God in the 29th verse? Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light of re, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. It's been embedded all along. In fact, if you go all the way back to Abraham, Abraham is blessed not just for his own people that would be a nation one day, but that through him all nations would be blessed. But because our hearts want to be exclusive instead of inclusive, we sort of zone in on the parts that, yeah, well, that's just us. And God's people throughout history sort of circled the wagons and closed themselves in rather than extending out. And it took the Messiah to come to open it up. And even then, even through the coming of the Spirit at Pentecost, even calling these disciples and sending them out and risking their lives, they still weren't quite ready. And God intervened once again through this dream, and Peter's finally getting it to take this good news even further. Number five, belief is about simple faith, not a specific Formula. <clears throat> Back once again to, to Acts chapter 10 and down at verse 39. <clears throat> Peter's talking about how they are witnesses of everything um, that, that happened and, and what happened on the cross, how he died for them and how he rose again. And they saw that, they knew that, and he explained that. <clears throat> and he says in the 42nd verse, then he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All peoples testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of their sins through his name. Everyone. Not just your people, Peter. Everyone. Simple faith. When was Cornelius saved? Saved. Was it here when the Spirit came in a moment? Was it when he had a dream? I mean, somehow God's already acknowledged him as someone who is, is, is pleasing in his sight. They, God has seen his faith, heard his prayers, seen his gifts to the poor. Was he saved then? Was he saved when he sent the message to Peter? Was he saved when Peter arrived? Was he saved when, when you know, the Spirit comes? When, when was he saved? For that matter, when was Peter saved? In, in the way we define salvation, sometimes way too narrowly, was it while he was a disciple? Was it after the resurrection on the beach when Jesus asked him three times, do you love me? Was it the day of Pentecost when the Spirit came? See, we don't have a, a, a defining moment there necessarily because sometimes salvation comes 
in incremental steps that you can't look back on and say, well, that's it. That's when it started. Oh, no, maybe it was there. Now, as an evangelical, and those of you who have grew up, grown up like me in an evangelical heritage, we, we were taught the, the sinner's prayer, which, which is good because it kind of it, it, it gets down to the basics, you know, to, that we need forgiveness of sin, and we simply ask and you say a prayer or something like this prayer, then, and then you can connect with God. And maybe that was your moment, and that's great, but it's not limited to that. That's what I'm getting at here. It's about simple faith, not a specific formula. Because here we had a guy who was living way on the edge of Israel, who wasn't even a Jew, and his faith is honored by God. And I think when we get to heaven, there's going to be lots of stories throughout history of people who don't, don't really fit our definitions and our patterns and our formulas about who is going to end up in heaven one day because God was there all along. God's doing his work. Now, what he wants to do is make it as simple as possible by getting the news out about Faith in Christ, it's that simple. He loves you, believe it, accept it, draw life from it. But that doesn't mean he's limited to that. I've shared with you before about that's kind of been my question from, from even childhood. I'm blessed, God, with growing up in a church and receiving his message at a very young age and accepting it as a very young age. But what about the little boy who was born the same day as me in another country on the other side of the planet who doesn't have a church, doesn't even know what church is, doesn't know who Jesus is? Does that little boy have an opportunity? As that little boy grows up into a man, does that man who still hasn't heard the message, can he just look to God one night looking at the same stars that I do and say, help? Is that a moment of salvation for him or for her? God will answer that. I can't answer that definitively from the word of God, and yet I see God pushing the edges and reaching out and, and including the people who are theological statements and patterns and ways often exclude rather than include. And I don't want to spend too much time on this. Um, i give you these scriptures here. Uh, tongues is a sign, not an essential. I only bring this up because sometimes this, in many traditions, has become a problem. And, and I'll say this. Um, when it, it says here in the 46th to the 44th verse, after Peter got done speaking, they, they spoke in tongues. And um, now that was a sign for Peter and the others who went with him from Joppa, other Christians, other Jewish Christians, that... Wow, this is legitimate. Wow, this is real. Because they're thinking about the day of Pentecost when the disciples had this incredible, miraculous gift that they could suddenly speak language that they never knew before, identifiable, known languages. And the same thing happens here. It's not to say that, that to be a believer, you have to speak in tongues. Certainly not. It's not to say that if, if you want to be a super believer, a super Christian, you have to speak in tongues. Not at all. It's, it's simply saying that this was a sign then, because there were thousands of believers being gathered throughout the, the known world at that time, and it says almost nothing about tongues in Acts except these three passages. Pentecost, here at Cornelius' home, and in Ephesus in the 19th chapter. And in that, in that passage, there are 12 men who speak in tongues in Ephesus. 12, 12 like back in Jerusalem at Pentecost. The, the gospel continues to reach out. And, and perhaps that's because that's the first time it happened outside of Israel. Caesarea is still in Israel. Now it's way out in Ephesus. And still the Spirit's there too. 
So tongues is a sign in the same way that the miracles that they did were signs. The healings, the casting out of demons, those kinds of things were signs from God. That's not the center. That's not the essential thing, but God can use it. But don't make that the thing. And too, too many, I believe today, too many believers do exactly that. And then lastly, the church is about equality, not hierarchy. So Peter says in the 47th verse, Surely no one can stand in the way of being baptized with water. They have received the Spirit just as we have. They are equals. When he walked in the door and, and they bowed down to his feet and he humbly said, No, no, get up. I'm a man like you. He's expressing that. And, and then as this, this story wraps up, he's doing the same thing. They are equals. Notice, too, that baptism comes, water baptism, after their expression of faith of some sort, after they receive the Holy Spirit, now they're baptized. Sometimes it's the other way around. So there isn't a formula, and this is the way it works. And, and what hierarchy likes to do is, again, formalize everything and say, this is the way you have to do it. This is the way you believe. This is the way you grow. And don't waver from that one way or the other. Well, God didn't seem to have a problem with things out of order in Acts, so why should we? It's what, it's what goes on in your heart that, that matters the most. It's not about equal, excuse me, it's not about hierarchy. Who's in control? Who's in power? And unfortunately, the church, a few, few centuries later, forgot that and um, got way too controlling and in many ways still is today. So that passage from Ephesians about inclusion is really good news. And that good news is really for everybody, including you. Let's pray. Father, may your word go forth from our hearts and minds, and may you um, continue to teach us, lead us, and most importantly, help us to see people the way you taught Peter to see them, as clean and pure in your eyes if they simply receive you, and help us to get the word out of the, the best way to do that, the easiest way, simply come to him in faith. In your name we pray, amen.